not by saving media production. Welcome to the Best Crush podcast series, where I interview successful South African entrepreneurs and movers and shakers in order to extract practical advice on succeeding in business and life. I'm your host, Jacques Besson. Jason Morris's journey began in cinema, but he took a daring leap to start a freight company with just 750 bucks, which turned out to be a brilliant move as they achieved an impressive 20 million rand turnover in a year. Later, he pursued law and excelled as a debt counselor, emphasizing the importance of an information-driven society and advanced technology. Jason sees the younger generation as having a business head start. As co-director of law firm Snade and Morris, with a presence in South Africa and the UK, they specialize in insolvency litigation and family law. Jason's tenacious do-it-yourself attitude ensures he stays ahead of the game. Jason, welcome in the studio. Thank you. Great to be here, Sean. Is it still snowing in Joburg still? No, not today. <laughs> my, not? Much to my daughter's disgust. Is it? Is it has, she, has she seen snow before or not? My two daughters actually haven't seen snow. Um, ah. We've traveled there and they've missed it. Okay. So they were quite happy yesterday when it started snowing. I got this phone call, Daddy, Daddy, it's snowing. <laughs> and they were highly irate when the snow stopped. Stopped. Yes. Ah, shame. It is, but it is so, such a special, magical thing. Yes. Um, it's a shame it's not Christmas, but that's... that's uh, very unlikely, I guess, Very in the southern, southern hemisphere. But tell us your story. Where where did you grow up? Uh, almost to say, where, where's the first time you saw snow? So where did you grow up, your story, to where we're sitting here? So I grew up in Johannesburg. Um, went to a government school in Johannesburg. I matriculated from Ferndale High in 1998. Um I went after that, I was involved in the freight industry and the cinema industry. Cinema? For many years. I had uh, my grandfather, my late grandfather had cinemas in Rustenburg. Um, so I left school. I didn't go straight to university. I got involved in the freight industry with my father. And was, it, was that, was that uh, tied to mining? Was that no, uh, not? No, it no. Was, it was, we did express freight and air freight. Um, across the the entire country, he had uh, offices in all your major centres. I then uh, left his company, went into the cinema industry full time, just outside Rustenburg. Clearwater. Uh, what was that mall there? No, 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 the, no, the, no. the waterfall mall. There was a waterfall mall in Rustenburg, but that wasn't where my grandfather's cinema was. He had the original one in the town. Okay. On Burger Street, I then took over a cinema on the other side of Rustenburg in an area called Pukeng. Uh, we ran that for about a year or two, um, but the market started changing, so we we ended gave that up. I then went back into the freight industry and I started my own freight company, um, and we started literally on seven hundred and fifty rand. Um, to be honest, it was a drunken bet with a mate of mine <laughs> one night. He said, "I bet you couldn't start a business on seven hundred and fifty rand." So I did. The first month we did 1,800 rand turnover, and within a year we were doing about 20 million rand turnover. That's incredible. Things changed. Uh, you know, life changed, life moves on. I wasn't married at the time, I was young, I was probably foolish. Uh, my mother joined me in my business. My father had retired from his business, he also joined. My mother then unfortunately passed away early 2008. Um, I remember coming back from her funeral and I looked at the, the office full of all the admin staff and they were basically sitting there with mouths full of teeth and saying to me, well, what do we do? And I'm like, well, I ran the business, I ran the operations side, but she did the admin. So my father and I said, what do we do? And we, we carried on and we ran for about a year and then we decided we're going to sell it. And that's where our fun and game started. I sold a business, it was a very profitable business, but in those days, being young, immature, for want of a better term, you sell it, you sell it on a sta on a basis where you get paid in portions. So it was like an earn out? Yes. The first payment came, second payment, no. Oopsie daisy. 
So I went to my attorneys at the time and they had laid criminal charges. Cut a long story short, it was at that point when I decided, to, decided you know what, I need to now start learning what these guys are doing. And I went and I studied law. Enrolled wow. in UNISA and I studied law correspondence. I then went and became a registered debt counsellor um, with the University of Pretoria. I studied debt counselling through the University of Pretoria. I then looked at this and I said, debt counselling is really not a business to go. So I actually didn't take it further. I got the qualification and didn't practice as it because it was really just extending pain for people, mm. in my opinion. Oh, so you go, it's not a problem. You're not solving a you're problem. not solving a problem. Oh. You're just moving the goalpost. Yes, yes. For want of a better term, you're waiting for an absolution that shall never come. And you're just extending the pain and suffering for people. I then, when I took back my company, I, I had to liquidate it. It had been gone too far. The damage was done. And I got an interest in liquidations. And I, and I realized the, the pain and suffering that it creates for people. I mm. mean, I had saved a little bit of a nest egg. I had to pay that back in and, and do that. And I got involved with the liquidators. And I started doing a lot of work for liquidators while I was studying, I eventually I finished my degree at UNISA. I did my articles, and I started practicing practicing law. By that time, I was married. I had a, my first child was born, and I started looking at you know now what did I know? I knew the law. I just mm. studied, but my speciality was insolvency and corporate litigation because that's what I'd been involved in. Almost like a passion. Almost like a passion because I. Insolvency is a very emotional thing. Mm. Um, a lot of practitioners say they don't like doing family law because of it's not in throna, for want of a better yeah. term. Well, insolvency can be just that because you're playing with people's emotions. You know, I often tell my co-director in my practice that yeah, he does insolvency law, and say so, you know you do. I'm sorry, not insolvency law. He does matrimonial law. I do insolvency law. So Tim, you know, you're just dealing with a husband or a wife. You know, you're dealing with the whole, and, yeah. and the kids. Mm. I'm dealing with the directors, the shareholders, yeah. and all those employees who yes. lose their jobs. Of and unfortunately, there is always a reason why something fails. And normally, it's because someone was scared. You know, there's that old saying that there's two pilots in a, in a cockpit and something goes wrong. The minute one of them panics, everyone on board's going to die. Or the other analogy is the two fighters in the boxing ring. The second one of them loses their temper, they've lost the fight. Yes, it's yes, over. Yes, and that's normally what happens. So you have a you have a conglomeration of things that we find in insolvencies. Either people pulled a trigger when they shouldn't have, or is, that, is that a because of of a cowboy factor, just uh, ignorance, or just you know a calculated risk that didn't pay off. No, sometimes it's a cowboy factor. It's a cowboy. But it's, it's, it's never, we've, I'm not saying it never. Mm. It's very rarely done intentionally. So the other problem also comes in where it's the ostrich effect, where people see there's a problem, where the directors see there's a problem, but because it's emotional, mm. they don't grab the bull by the horns until it's too late. Mm. And when it's too late, there's no point in crying over spilt milk. Is there a line in the sand? Is there a benchmark to say, listen, mate, if you're approaching that, now, I mean, that could be how long is a piece of string question, yeah. but is there a, a rough guidance of, listen, is this, if these two things start happening or three things start happening in a business, you better, it's so, time to, to grab the, the, the bull by the horns. So basically, if you, if, you, if you want to look at the company's activities, insolvency is guided by a few acts. It's the Insolvency Act of 1936, the Companies Act of 2008, and the Old Companies Act of 1976. So they, they got, and to a small portion, the Old Closed Corporations Act, but there's not many closed corporations left. But the overarching factor when you're dealing with a company, so remember a company is liquidated, a person is sequestrated, but let's deal with a company. The Companies Act says, be it a PTY limited or a closed corporation, the directors or members need to do what is called an asset test. So the basic thing is that asset test. Can you meet your commitments as and when they fall due in the ensuing six months? If you can't, you have a problem. 
Got it. And you must do the following. You must either place the company in, in business rescue, which places a monitorium on actions. But that means it's a creditor-driven process, and the creditors will decide mm. through with the business rescue practitioner. Or you must place the company in voluntary liquidation. Or you must do neither of them, but you must publish a notice to the affected parties stating why you are not doing that and what you are re- doing to remedy it. Got it. Now, people say to me, well, <sighs> what is the basic definition of insolvency? Well, it's basically when your assets are lower than your uh, your liabilities. Mm. So your liabilities exceed your assets. But that's a bit of a, 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 a simplified analogy because let's say you go and buy a, a motor car for 600,000 rand. You put a hundred thousand rand deposit down, and you finance five hundred thousand rand. Technically, you are insolvent because the second you drive that car off the showroom floor, it's no longer worth six hundred thousand rand, mm. or the five hundred thousand rand that you paid for it. Sorry, it's now worth maybe four hundred and eighty. Yes, but you owe the bank f- with interest yeah. five hundred thousand. Yeah, so you you down the tubes for twenty thousand rand. It's not that. It's as and when they come due. That whole payment is not a current liability. It's a non-current liability. Got it. So that's what you have to look at. And what happens is a lot of times, because companies are emotional, a lot of times they either they what the directors they've worked their lives to do, or they've inherited it from family, and due to a, a whole conglomeration of effects it's now hit bad times mm. and they don't take that necessary action when it is important. There's another option that they can do other than business rescue. They can do what is called a section 155 compromise with creditors, which is done by court order where you do an informal proposal. You go to court and you get a man order. It's quite technical how you do it, but it's there, but it's when they forget to take or neglect to take those precautions and 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 how do you fall into that trap if we is, is that where you coming back to your the scared the word scared is that reluctance to to act yes it there, there's that but there's also the human factor involved and unfortunately hindsight becomes a perfect science mm. so where what we find in a lot of companies is how did they get into trouble? They got into trouble not because they didn't have enough sales. They got into trouble because their clients couldn't pay them. Something happened that their clients had a bad cash flow, so they didn't get paid. So because they didn't get paid, they started extending their credit. Is that, whole rip, is that ripple effect? It's a domino effect, yeah. And, and, and at the end of the day, it catches up with you. Um, you have certain other other aspects where a company can become overtraded when it's grown too quickly and its capital can't meet its, yeah. its, its, its growing needs. But those are few and far between in today's market. So, so would it be fair to say that, again, is it, it's not necessarily a case that the debtors department weren't doing their jobs properly or maybe they, they were or they were not? The fact that there was, I mean, you didn't see the warning signs so, so, so let me give you a perfect example. You're trading with ABC PTY Limited. ABC PTY Limited have been a good client of yours for 10 years. They've paid you on the nose. 30 days, guaranteed your money's in. End of July comes, no money. So you phone your mate. You say, Jacques, wh- what's happening here? Jacques says, listen, Jason, I've got a bit of a problem. I haven't been paid by my biggest clients. Can you give me a couple of days? Sure. Mm. Trust you. Trust you. And, and, and rightly so. Yes, now yes. Th- that's where the gamble starts. I see, I see. Am I saying that you shouldn't do it? Well, you, that's a judgment call every director's got to take. Mm. The question is when month two comes and Jacques can't pay. And now not only do you have Jacques who can't pay you, you've got Paul who can't pay you, you've got... Melissa, who can't pay you, and now you've got a problem because you are now having to go and make that same sort of arrangement with your creditors. That, or you're going to take capital out of your business to fund the going concern of your business. Mm. 
Once you do that and you start depleting your capital, comes to a point where there is no more capital, mm. then you've got to put in. Mm. And then what point comes in where you can't put in anymore? Sure. And then, unfortunately, the light at the end of the tunnel becomes a freight train moving at full speed. <laughs> Just a side note question. Remember when we spoke the first time, you, you told me a fascinating thing about, um, we were talking about bank managers in the yes. good old days. And you mentioned the bad debt ratio of a person versus a computer. <laughs> so and that, that now again just remind me of, you know, the person that needs yeah. to make the call, right? So, well, well, well that's exactly it. You, you need to make those calls by the feeling, but the problem comes in where you've got this conglomeration of things because what would normally have happened, Jacques now has run into a bit of problems. In days gone by, he would be able to phone his bank manager and say, can I come and have a cup of coffee with you? And his bank manager would know, look, Jacques's good for this. He can trade out. But nowadays what happens is Jacques presents this beautiful set of financials, but they don't qualify him for credit because he's not this big half-lying business. So the bank don't, doesn't have the faith in him and they don't give him the credit. Conversely, what happens is Jacques could present these beautiful financials. They, the banks give him credit because the, it ticks all the boxes on the algorithm. Now what happens? Jacques trading. Mm. But he's trading in a business that can never sustain itself. But, and I wouldn't say stupidly, I would say maybe in some instances naively, mm. he's hoping that it's going to come right because deep down inside he can see there's a bit of a problem. Yeah. But this is his baby. Mm. And he wants to make his baby work. And the bank's given him this money, so the bank must have confidence in what he's doing because they've seen his financials. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is he ticked boxes of an algorithm. Mm. Whereas in days gone by, the bank manager would say to me, Jacques, do me a favor. Come on, man. Come on, let's yeah. you, you're not don't, don't buy that farm. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't go and buy that farm. Don't go and buy that yeah. tractor. You're not yeah. going to yeah. come right. Yeah. You know? But because Jacques ticked all the boxes, he got the facility. Now what ends up happening is the facility starts getting called in. And now it's coming back to your point earlier. This is where this is where you yes. now officially yes in big trouble. You have you have the problem, and now to trade out of a problem like that is very very difficult, and that's where your problem all starts. It's a very innocent little task. Or what companies do on the side is they ignore the warning letters, so they get those letters of demand, and they ignore it. Mm. I think you're not. Mm -hmm. then someone gets a judgment against them. Then the sheriff comes and knocks. And they say, but we got nothing. So the sheriff says, let's just do a nullabona. That nullabona goes back to an execution creditor's attorney. And he says, but hang on, this is an act of insolvency. And there comes the liquidation application. Mm -hmm. When that liquidation application comes, it's served on the company, the employees, the registered trade union, SARS, and the master of the high court. People start taking notice. Mm -hmm. Staff talk, start talking. Did you see the sheriff was here with an uh, application for liquidation? What's going on? And that's when... Just a spiral. Spiral down. So at the end of the day, it, again, if, if I have to... I guess the short summary is that taking proactive steps... Yes. Regardless of the pain humiliation but at least if you are proactive you have control over the process yes it's good because this the way the the latter is is when they initiate the process it's it's a different animal so i'll give you an example one of the liquidators that i do a lot of work with he he says you know i'm the last person you want the phone call from mm. because i'm actually the undertaker mm. because in company law you'll learn that a company has a life it's a separate juristic entity. It's, it's got, it's born, it's infancy, adolescence, puberty, yeah. uh, maturity. It can then get sick and it can die. And at that point, the liquidator comes in and he is literally the undertaker. Mm. Mm. You know, Makes sense. He comes in and he, he, you don't want that phone call. And that's when all your spin-offs happen, your Section 417 insolvency inquiries. Because at the end of the day, the liquidator has to now find out what was the cause of this failure mm. to report to the master and the creditors. Yeah, and yeah. That's where your problem comes in. And then, of course, 
for people personally, they have all these ancillary problems because most of the time they've signed surety somewhere. So now they start losing their personal assets. And mm. Because people think, oh, well, even though I've signed surety, they can't come to me because the company, no, they can. They can. Because the surety's saying that you bind yourself. You're the, you're the backup. Yeah, you're the back. Well, not only, you you equally on, on the chop mm. because you renounce what is called the benefit of discussion. So it means that the creditor can go after both of you at the same time. Mm. So now you've just lost your company and now you start getting summonses in your personal name sure. for the debts of the company because you signed surety. We see it often and it's when you're not proactive. What are the specific industries that if you have to do an 80-20 that uh, the listeners have to be aware of? You know, certain types of businesses be careful be aware, um, always again, and I'm thinking of this post-COVID period, I mean, obviously restaurants, there's certain, I mean, we all know okay. which industries were hit the hardest, but which ones do we have to be, I guess, uh, awake for? And then let's segue into the opportunities. I want to touch on Africa, mm. sales into Africa, the opportunity yes. that is Africa. Yes. Um, so, in our practice at, at Snade and Morris, we, we've seen in the insolvency sphere, and, and these are both where companies that we've represented the company is in trouble and where we've represented the liquidator. So, so during COVID, COVID was, didn't discriminate. Any business that couldn't trade really faced the chopping block, but the ravages after, let's say, level five started going towards your hospitality industry your hotels, your restaurants. I cannot tell you how many restaurants, pubs, boutique hotels we oversaw with, with the liquidators, the, the, the liquidation of. And with that then came the people that were out of work. So that, they, they were the hardest hit in COVID. And following them was probably your luxury goods to a degree. And when I say that to a degree, I mean... Not your super luxury goods, but your intermediary luxury mm. goods. So your beauty parlors, your your nail technicians, yes. your hairdressers. All those nice-to-haves. All the nice-to-haves. Um, your exotic cars, they never felt it. Mm. Your exotic car manufacturers. But it was the nice-to-have every day's little luxuries. They started feeling it. But it's opened up a new, it's also opened up a new avenue. Uh, there's a lot more entrepreneurs now because of people who've lost their jobs. Yeah. So it has balanced in some respects. What uh, it, it, I'm thinking back in, in my UK days, right? Mm. Business-wise, and, and, and coming back to these liquidations that, and I remember particularly there's one fashion brand in the UK. I can't remember the, the brand, it slipped my mind now. But anyway, where a lot of these big boys, have the, they have the reputation. that They will liquidate the business, buy it back for, for next to nothing. Where, where where do you draw that line? Is that is that a UK thing or is that a South African thing as well? It's a global thing. It's a global thing. And I mean, the Americans also good at that. Yeah. So the <laughs> Americans are doing in there in Chapter Seven bankruptcy, and whatnot. So it happens a lot in business rescue here, um, because that's just compromising and buying it back. In the UK, they call it administration. But it happens in liquidations here as well. So what would happen is. ABC PTY Limited goes insolvent. So the directors were clever. They never signed any personal sureties except with the bank because the bank doesn't let them off the hook. They go make nice with the bank. They got capital. There's no creditors have got sureties with them because it was their policy. Well, they, had a good, they had a good attorney advised <laughs> them not to. Yeah. And then they say, right, we'll buy the assets back and we'll start in a reincarnated version. And what do they do is they go to an auction or they do a private treaty. They say to the liquidator, look, there's a loan account of 5 million rand owing to me. You've val valued the, the assets on fire sale at 3 million. We're going to give you 3.5 million. So the liquidator looks at this and he says, well, look, I'm getting half a million rand more than what the valuation on fire sale would be. So he goes, the liquidator will go to approach the master of the high court and say, look, I've got this offer pre-auction. Can you ratify the offer to sell by private treaty? 
Okay. Or do you want me to auction it? Sometimes the the, the, the master says, no, you're not. Auction it. Mm. See if you can get a better price. Yes, yes, yes. So what do they do? They just go to the auction. They op- opening bid is three and a half million rand. No one comes and bids mm. because, you know, the, they thought that, hang on, you know, people are not stupid. Buyers on auction are not stupid. They know that there's got a forced sale value of three three million. When the opening bid's three and a half, they're not going to go near it. Yep. Okay. Yep. Or, or what they might do is if they're smart, they'll go, okay, in three million, 100,000. And if someone pushes them up 50,000 rand, they put in another 50. And they know that that's their price. And very often they get it back and they pay the auctioneer's commission and they go off. Mm-hmm. So in essence, yes, master most of the time just does ratify private treaty sales like that because then there's no auctioneer's fees. But then it's being bought out of a company and nothing stops the directors buying it from the company, the assets back from the company. Um, and very often, sometimes they subrogate their loan accounts if there's not other creditors. Mm-hmm. So very often what they'll do is they'll say, well, there's really no other creditors. We're the majority creditor, you know, and we subrogate part our loan account and we pay this. But that becomes a very technical argument. Mm-hmm. The, the, the easiest way is normally they just offer more than the forced sale value. How many of these guys... I mean, is there is there a, r- a rule of thumb to say that, you know... Uh, coming back to authentically proactively liquidating the business versus as part of your business strategy <laughs> is to buy back <laughs> business would, on the cheap. <laughs> remember, going and buying it back on the cheap is also a bit of a gamble. It's almost like putting red or black on the ca- roulette wheel. It doesn't casino. mean you, you, you have what you had before. Yes, it mm. doesn't mean you're going to get it. Um, the question is how many guys actually go out and do it? There are. There are companies that are unscrupulous guys that go out and they say, look, we, we're going we're gonna to rape and pillage, for want of a better term, mm-hmm. as best as we can. And those are the guys that you end up getting Section 417 inquiries against, that you then end up doing Section 424. Section 424 of the Old Companies Act means that those directors are personally liable because they traded recklessly. Got it. Going back then, to that six-month rule. Well, no, the six-month rule is that you can – a disposition without value. Okay. Um, and you can say that if it happened in the ensuing six months. It's not exactly true because if you can prove that it was done to defraud creditors, you can go back and you can co- and you, if you can convince a court that it must be unraveled, you can unravel. Okay, okay. It's just six months is the golden thumb of it. So the new companies act as well, and this is what people need to be careful of. So in the old days, we only had Section 424 where the liquidator could hold the credit, the director's personally liable and say, well, forget the corporate identity, the juristic veil, you're liable. There's now an added level in terms of the New Companies Act that says you can have them declared delinquent directors, which means they can't be directors of other companies. Okay. So we have a few matters like that at the moment where people did, they just saw the gap during COVID and they just milked it. Sure. Uh, they went and got finance where they didn't need finance and they just that money disappeared mm. developed legs mm. now let's talk opportunity i mean interesting uh workshop we had at at, at your offices yes um about africa i mean it's the it's the uh, uh, in summary, it's doing business in Africa. It's the Africa plan. I mean, South Africa doesn't have one, but it doesn't mean that the South African companies here or the, even the multinationals that are based here don't have a Africa plan. Unpack that a bit. What are you guys? Obviously, you've got UK customers as well, uh, UK customers operating in Africa. So what are what are those, those the, the lights in the tunnel that, that's not a freight train? What does that okay. look like? What are, what are you guys seeing? So... It, 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 it's quite a layered level. So with our UK-based customers, um, our UK-based customers and together with a lot of our South African-based customers, they saw Brexit, which happened just before COVID, as being a golden opportunity because it allowed the UK to start trading with the Commonwealth without the shackles of the EU regulations. Sorry to interrupt you, Jason. What, what was the percentage of uh, EU trade or is the percentage of EU trade with Africa? 
Is there, is there a... There, I, I don't know offhand of... But what, it was very restrictive. It was very restrictive because, remember, the EU would buy from the EU themselves. Mm. And then, of course, there was the world factory China where, where things were produced. South Africa's biggest trading partner up, up to date has always been the United States of, the, of America. The, the UK has been third or fourth, if I'm not mistaken. But the UK has got a desire to, to trade, and it's not what I see only in our practice, but as a, a non-executive director of the British Chamber of Commerce. And that's probably why the first um, state visit that, the, that King Charles received was President Cyril Ramaphosa. There's always been the desire. There may be strains at the moment that we don't know about. And, I mean, you just read the news, mm. listen to podcasts, and you can hear that the Lady R, I think, has put a strain on a lot of relations. But I don't think they're insurmountable because at the end of the day, business really d dictates to what governments do. Mm -hmm. um, so there are great opportunities. There's opportunities for South Africans to invest abroad. The, the UK is looking at investments. And then also within the continent, there's this great drive to do business within the continent. Um, and maybe it's not your traditional nine-to-five business that we always do. And, and I think from the workshop uh, you came to on, on, on business in Africa at our offices, you, could, you saw it. It wasn't. And, and, and Africa, as the, 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 the old Romans used to say in Latin, is so generous. It's, it's of its own accord. Mm. It's got the youngest population on the planet. The, the meridian age in Africa is, is between 18 and 25, whereas your meridian age in, the European, in Europe and the UK is 45. In the States, it's around 43. Sure. China's and Asia's in their late 30s, early 40s. That's a hell of a gap. A hell of a gap. Africa has got the youngest population. Is, is it... Can one say with absolute certainty, I remember one of the comments that w uh, was made is that the younger the population, that's where your innovation comes from. Is I mean, assuming you've got an educated base, is it, is it fair to say that because you're young, you're going to now suddenly start identifying all these solutions? Um, I think... I think the younger population definitely, because they've been grown up, they've been growing up with a lot more technology. So it's that that, that correct. So they're born with a uh, you know a tablet in the hand, so well, to speak. Basically, I mean, I'll I'll give you an example. I mean, my iPhone. I don't know how to use a tenth of the the uh, features on it. Yeah. Yesterday, my daughters are on school holiday at the moment. And when it was snowing, they they took a, a video of it snowing on on my dad's iPhone. And they sent it to me, and they had put a little coffee cup with a unicorn <laughs> rainbow for it. They did stuff it. with it. And I phoned my, my I spoke to my nine-year-old on the phone, and I said to her, how did you do that? She said, Dad, I don't know. I just did it. So that last night when I got home, I said, show me how you did it. And she just does it so quickly. She, know, but yeah. she doesn't know how she's doing it, but she but knows how yes. to do it. Yeah, yeah. So I think the opportunity with a young population for technical innovation is there because there's so much more technology around, mm. even in your rural areas. Um, I think in our masterclass we touched on it. The, the banking app that started on the cell phones in, in Kenya that just took off and ran because it was the first time there was banking to people in the rural areas. Yes. And if you look at it, and I saw the stats quite a while ago, but just in South Africa, the, there were three, I think it was three times more cell phones than people. Crazy. So th that puts on average every human being living in South Africa has three cell phones. Well, I don't. I've got one. So I don't <laughs> know where. So they're, they're well, it, it's, it's, a very, it's fascinating you say that because I remember we were having a conversation um, well, recent, I think it's the last two years, we were discussing farm workers. Yes. I think South Africa's got about 950,000 permanent farm workers and about 250,000 seasonal. So yes. it's, it's a lot of farm, and that's just the farm work. It's not the family unit. Yes. And we were talking about education within you know, farm workers, and, and, and one of my questions was the smartphone factor. And they said, yeah, no, no, don't think this guy brings his smartphone 
to work. That old piece of crap you see that that's the work phone and then the smartphone is sitting at home right Correct. so so you're talking about two phones there yes that not one uh, the mm. smartphone is at home so yes. i was very ignorant as to to what you see as what you think is is the reality well if you look at it there was a brand of cell phone and i can't remember the make of it i think it could be mobisol that was manufactured in South Africa. It was the it was a it was a smartphone that you could purchase at certain retail stores for I think it was about ninety rand. Sure, it had a touch screen and everything. Crazy. Okay, granted, it didn't have a very big memory. Yeah, but it could. You Connected. could use Google. It had an Android store on it, and 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 information was at people's fingertips, and that's the difference between now and thirty years ago. We're living in an information-driven society. So this young generation, they might not have as good an education as their fathers did or their mothers did or their grandparents even because of a failing infrastructure in certain parts. But they've got information at, at their fingertips. Access to. And what's interesting, I, uh, I mentioned to you these guys that we're doing the education podcast series yes. with, with, uh, with your... Um, your subtitles. Yes. How quickly you learn to speak the language. Correct. Because of subtitles. Correct. And, and I mean, every bloody video has got a subtitle, a yes. TikTok. So it's actually incredible all these qualitative or these benefits that, that, that comes come from consuming content. Well, correct. Correct. I mean, I'll give you an example. My, my, go back to my nine-year-old is doing French as an extra subject at school. The French teacher told my wife to download an app on the phone. My wife can speak now as much French as my daughter just by doing the app to do her homework. Good heavens. So, and now, conversely, I'm listening to my nine-year-old and my six-year-old talking, speaking French when they don't want me to hear what they want to talk <laughs> because the six-year-old's picking it up by listening to her nine-year-old sister doing her homework. Yes. So it really is incredible, the technology that is out there and the benefits. The other thing that that jumped out, and I and I, uh, you know, with the, the whole Africa uh, uh, business opportunity thing, is relationships. And I remember, I, I I think I mentioned to you um, just before we came back from the UK. The um, one of my mates, he's actually he's he's an old Joburg boy. Loves England, is doing very well, and and we chose to come back. And I actually said to him, Nick, because he he was an entrepreneur in South Africa, and he founded his new business in England. I've started my own business, my first business in the UK, so I, yes. I was never been an entrepreneur in South Africa until we returned. And I said, which one do you prefer? And he said, well, what I love about England, it's it's merit driven. It's really the, the best service, best product. Correct. Good cut. You're gonna you're gonna make money. He says, but. It's a bit the computer says yes, yes or no. Yes. It says South Africa, not merit-driven, certain things, a little bit gray, but relationship-driven. And I think that's the message that was clear that Africa is relationship-driven, and I, and I love that part of it. Correct. I can give you a simple analogy. We've got associates, an associate office in London. That's What does the Google ranking say? With us here, it's the relationship. I have a relationship with Jacques. Jacques is, comes to me when he has a problem. And, a, and, and, and Africa is still built on relationships. It's built on handshakes. So as long as you understand that you can, and you can get that right, you can understand that the team's meetings is not, uh, not going <laughs> to do it. You need to go and see your yeah. client. You need to go and close the deal over a cup of coffee or or a beer or a whiskey or a, or whatever the, the the drink of choice is at the time you need to understand that that's what you need to do it's a get on get off your butt on the plane thing yes it's it's be there turn up be there show your face um where europe and america is more this well what does the best merit say okay that, that that's exactly what it is um that, and, and that's the different analogies. What's right or wrong, I don't know. I know I prefer the personal touch. Um, I get highly irate if a supplier says to me, uh, let's have a Teams meeting. I say, no, get in your car. you wanting to sell, my, sell something to me. you wanting to get my hard-earned money. Come and talk to me. Yes, yes. Come and sit face-to-face -face with me. Mm. You know? 
So and I think Africa's still very much it. Although online shopping is growing in Africa, I don't think it's ever going to get, well, not in the next near future, to the point it is in the rest of the world. And that's why the personal relationships are so important. I guess and and thinking e-com is also is not making the mistake. Well, I think a lot of people make, uh, as far as America is concerned, that you th- I always say, you, you say 50 states, I see 50 countries that speak English. It's, it's 50 different countries, technically speaking, different laws, different cultures. Yeah, they're American, but yeah. Africa is the same. It's Well, in this case, literally yes. <laughs> 50 different countries, but yes. it's it's not making the assumption that if you can do it in South Africa, you can do it in Nigeria, if you do it in Nigeria, you can do it in Kenya. So it's, it's, it's being aware also of those cultural differences and with that comes the way business is conducted. And I'm assuming that's the case for online as well. Doesn't mean Correct. you sell it online in country X, you're gonna you're gonna be as successful in country Y. Well, correct. Um just go back to the States for a perfect analogy. I mean one of my co directors uh, travelled the States extensively and at one stage held a green card. And he'll tell you that uh, if you pay tax in the state of New York and but you're not leaving the United States through New York, that you then go to Washington, and now you're flying from Washington back to South Africa. You cannot claim your GST because they still use GST in Washington because it's a separate state. It's a, it's it's a separate thing. Place. So, yes, what works in South Africa is not necessarily going to work in Nigeria. It's not going to necessarily work in Botswana or Zimbabwe. You need to find what's right and what works in that environment. And every environment is different. And and you you have these services, these companies, individuals that, that are popping up at least. Mm. I mean, because you're not going to Google it. It's yes. not, you know, what are the top 10 selling products <laughs> yes. in Kenya and get the answer. The one thing that, that you mentioned, and, and again, I'm, I'm not sure if you're allowed to, to um, uh, you know, give us an example or maybe a different example. Um, I'm thinking of the, the Zimbabwe customer of yours. You mentioned at the time, keep it simple. Keep so it very simple. Because you always hear Africa, you think oil, gas, you know, uh, agriculture. It's billion dollars, massive capital investments, complicated mining. But it's, yes, but it's not that. Okay. So I can actually mention okay. it because I thought we might go there and ask him <laughs> for his permission. Okay, so excellent. I've got a client who, who lives in the UK. And um, he imports charcoal from Southern Africa. So he had a problem where at one stage where he couldn't get it out because of the land grabs and everything. So he, instead of packing it and, and finalizing it there, he, he found a way around it. He bought from a local supplier in South Africa who was dealing with the same supplier in Harare. He was then buying it from a neutral source. So... Was he doing something wrong? No. He was just, he found a different service provider. An address. He found a different address. And as simple as that. The fact that the raw material came from the same place, I, I don't know whether it's here, neither here nor there, yeah. and it would be something that would take a, lo- a long debate yeah, yeah, about yeah. it. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is it, 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 there's ways of doing things, and you need to think out the box when you're doing business nowadays, especially in the current market. <coughs> What 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 is your your thoughts on 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 products and services? We mentioned e-commerce. Is it it's it still the basics of food and drink, for example, in Africa? I mean, we we, we talked about fashion earlier. Um, is it is it the basics, the Levi jean, the car, the microwave, the McDonald's, or again, is that too? No, people make the mistake of thinking that's too out there. Hmm. Uh, People in Africa, especially the young community, because they're now connected, they're now online, they want what everyone else has got, and rightly so. So they want to be able to get their pair of Levi's. They want to be able to get their McDonald's. They might not have a taste for McDonald's, but they want to be able to get it if they want it. They want to be able to get their uh, iPhone or their Samsung phone. They want a smartwatch. They want all these things. So... A lot of companies make this mistake of thinking that Africa is not a sophisticated consumer. 
because the person doesn't look sophisticated doesn't mean that they don't want they don't aren't sophisticated and they don't want the sophisticated mm. thing. or not aware of the sophistication yes. and, and all the rest because yes. yeah. they are very aware of it um, I can tell you there's one particular luxury brand that during the COVID pandemic Africa accounted for 90 percent of their sales good heavens because while the rest of the world were Africa was saying, but hang on, we're managing this pandemic. We're living through it. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not sure why you guys are carrying on the way you are. And to a great extent, I think, and if you ask me, and I had this discussion last night with some people from the UK, I think Africa handled the COVID pandemic probably a little bit better than the rest of the world Mm -hmm. because we just got on with it to a great extent. Yes, we had lockdowns and we had crippling lockdowns. But we got on to on it with a great extent, and we and, and we picked ourselves up a lot quicker afterwards. And the proof is in the pudding. Yes. Last question. Hmm. UK customers, I just want to circle back to um, Brexit opening yes. up trade opportunities for for the UK. What are you saying? I mean, is is there uh, what? Where is the real appetite? I mean, Africa is there. Is there again? Is there, are there specific industries that jump out that you can say, listen, it's the specific sector that that's going after? Again, I mean, Africa is always so, going to be mining, and it's coming back so, to that. So, one of our clients who are UK based, and they, they've got a f- they, they've they've got a footprint here, are looking very much at non-perishable food items because of the the currency volatility they can land those non-perishable food items in the UK where before the UK would have sourced certain of those grains and pulses and non-perishables from the EU and maybe even from Ukraine or Russia, which Ukraine and Russia are now off the table. Yep. They can't source them from there at all. Well, Ukraine is in the midst of a devastating war. What is not in war, war mode in Russia, they're not allowed to buy from because mm. of sanctions. Yes. And maybe they don't want it, it's cheaper now for them and, and financially more proactive to get it from the Commonwealth. So where's the frustration? The frustration is coming from companies on both sides of the pond, for want of a better term, that there isn't a formalized trade deal with SADAC yet. Um, the, e, the UK has adopted the same trade deal that, they, that the EU has, so it would be the same trading conditions as if you're dealing with the EU. And that has created a bit of frustration. And it's something that as businesses, we're the only ones who can change. So businesses need to take take the mantra, for want of a better term. We need to do the business. We need to then vent to our respective governments uh, governments our frustration. Mm. But in in a respectful manner. I'm not saying go and fight about it. I'm saying just do the business. Uh, take the bull by the horns because in the modern market, if we don't take the bull by the horns, no one's going to come do it for us. Mm. We can't sit back, especially in the current business market, and wait for things to happen. We've got to make them happen. What does that look like? Unpack that a bit because it's, it's such an important point. And, and again, I, 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 I was listening um, – the other night I was driving out here at the office park at the radio on and, and it was the CEO of, of Capitec. Yes. Gary, is it Gary Samag? I forgot his Something name. Like that, yes. And um, he said two things at the end of the, it was interesting. Uh, he said that number one, um, accept the fact that you are responsible for you. Correct. You, you need to, we need to do something about it. No one's going to come and help us. And number two is, you know, what I always say: would you focus on expand? So if you if you don't if you're not looking for, for for opportunities, you won't find them. So if you're looking for the negative, so again, it was it was so refreshing to hear a guy that's in charge of a nine billion rand company saying, hey, you know, th- what you focus on expands. It's not all about strategy. Is is the mental game is critical and pull your finger out. So so, so let me try and unpack that for you, and I can answer that for you in the best the best possible way I think I can. So as you know, our, our firm does quite a lot of immigration law to the UK. So we have a few clients through our associates in London who actively seek to employ people from South Africa. So on one of my recent trips to the UK, I sent, said to one of the directors of this one company who's seeking to employ people from South Africa, I said, why are you so interested in people from South Africa and Africa in general? Mm. He says, because... They make it happen. 
And I said to him, what do you mean? And at that point, one of his co-directors interrupted and she said to me, she said, they don't expect things given to them on a silver spoon. Mm. So if you have to work late, they work late. Yeah, they don't ex- get it done. They don't expect to be given free medical. They don't expect to be given handouts. Mm. They work for everything they get. And I think that unpacks it the best. The, the, you've got to have that mindset of you've got to get it done. No one's going to do it for you. Mm. And, and maybe that's the way we need to think because that's the way the world is thinking. They're saying we're tired of people waiting for it to happen because someone's got to take the bull by the horns. Mm. And so I agree with what the, the CEO of Capitec said. You have to make it work yourself. You can't wait for it to come to you. You can't say, I've got this product. Let's say it's roasted corn nibs. I'm going to put a little ad on the internet and I'm going to wait for the orders to come in. It's not going to happen. Mm. It's like the old the days of you, you put an ad in the U magazine and all the, <laughs> the, the tunnies would come and order all the reverse yeah. that come and order yeah. for you. Those days are gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. You got to make it happen. You got to go and see the little retailer who's going to retail it for you. You've got to go and find it. If you are the person marketing a product, you must go and actively seek your suppliers and say, come here, I want to talk to you. You've you, you got to be proactive. The days of business just happening are long gone. It's that, and uh, I think I'll, I'll, I'll summarize it. It's, it's a coming back to the Africa way of doing business, relationships, face-to-face. But also it's, it's technology is, yeah, technology is, makes life a lot easier. Mm. A lot of things makes business easier. But at the end of the day, pull your finger out. You can't run the Google ads <laughs> all give, over the place yeah, and, and, and expect. I'll give you an example. So there used to be a thing in film called subliminal advertising. Became yeah. highly illegal. Those little, those little yeah. th- flash. No, no, those were Q marks, but it was uh, film was projected at twenty four frames a second. Okay. So the shutter opened and closed twenty four frame times a second. You couldn't see it with your naked eye. It showed you one fluid picture. So, if you took a product in the twenty fourth frame, was that product? I'll give you an example. A cold drink manufacturer did it. They increased sales of cold drink in one cinema by eight hundred percent. Good heavens. People didn't know why, but they wanted that it's cold drink. Incredible. And they'd go out and buy that cold drink <laughs> from the confectionery stand. <laughs> so it's the old analogy. You've got to be seen. You've got to be subtly in people's mind. Mm. That's how you get it done. Mm. They've got to know. They've got to think, I need an attorney, Snaden Morris. Mm. We're going we're gonna to go on the web. We're going to find Snaden Morris. We're going to go to them. That coupled with the personal relationship. And of course, and I think even what we're doing here, the, yes. the whole, the, the, the very definition and the essence of a podcast is is free value add. It, it is Correct. allowing someone to be a fly on the wall and have access to fascinating and important information for yes. free, right? Yes. And that's that's the starting point. And I always yes. say to people, 20, 20th century marketing, ask you to marry me on the first day. 21st century marketing, I date you. Yes. I pay for that. <laughs> and then I ask you to marry me, right? Yes. So it's, uh, but again, it comes back to uh, good old relationships. So, um, it, and relationship building. Correct. So you need, you need to have that balance. You need to be there that people remember you. They need to then be able to form a relationship with you, form a bond. Mm. They must have something in common with you and they must trust you. Mm. And that's the important thing. Jason, thank you. Pleasure. I really enjoyed our chat. And I look forward to doing it again. For sure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review. And follow us on social media at bizbizcrush.com.